and we are live what is going on everyone welcome to game breakers yes it is thursday afternoon it's time to dive into some sports talk i hope you guys are doing great out there but you guys know me man we have a lot to get into but just want to say it feels good to be back once again doing this job i love this part of the job man but we'll get into the week 13 recap we'll get into some breaking news regarding Brittany griner we'll get into some previews for tonight's matchups with the raiders and the rams and also some nba trade talk but guys Brittany griner is coming back home she is coming back home wow i wasn't sure if that'd be possible for her to come back home but joe biden made it possible and, you know, I first of all, before we dive into this whole sequence of Brittany Griner and what it means and what it didn't mean for other people who didn't get to come back home, i.e. Paul Whelan, um, let's just say that Brittany Griner, man, she has gone through a lot, I bet. She has gone through a lot while being in, in, entertained, entertained by, oh, sorry, detained, I'm saying detained, detained by the Russian government and whatnot. And they wanted to make it a political thing, even though to me it really wasn't. But she is now coming back home after a long-awaited, waited moment to now reunite with her family in the future. Man, it feels good to have that part. And I want to dive into this part about Paul Whelan. Paul Whelan, a U.S. Marine or an ex-U.S. Marine um, who is still detained by the Russian government because of espionage charges, right? And there are a lot of backlash about people saying how they felt as if Biden has failed the country, has done wrong once again because he has not brought back both of them, Brittany Griner and Paul Whelan. Um, and it seems as if Russia are, are unwilling to give up both. or That's what it looked like, as if they were unwilling to give up both uh, prisoners in that matter. But in, in Biden's statement, he did say that we have not forgotten about Paul Whelan this was not a choice about which American to release. Russia is treating Paul's case differently. We are not giving up. So, guys, let's be honest here. The cases are a bit different. They are. So uh, we see that in this case, Biden did try, whether or not you believe he tried hard enough or not, he did try to get back both of these prisoners, quote-unquote, Brittany Griner and Paul Whelan. It didn't work out. Obviously, Russia was only accepting... To, to give up Brittany Griner in exchange for Victor Bout, who is nicknamed the Merchant of Death. Wow. 25, serving a 25 prison sentence in the U.S. on charges of conspiring to kill Americans, acquiring and exporting anti-aircraft anti missiles, and to provide material support to a terrorist organization. Now, that is a lot. And we kind of talked about this before, about how we're not too sure if giving up <laughs> Victor Bell is the best decision to get back Brittany Griner. We hope that there would be other measures, but obviously there was no other way that the Russian government would give up Brittany Griner if it wasn't for something in this case of getting back Bout in their presence. So it is what it is, I will say, and it's kind of disappointing to see that we have given up you know, a guy who has conspired to kill Americans has conspired to kill a lot of people in exchange for Brittany Griner. But I'm not trying to dull the moment. Brittany Griner is coming back home, and we like that about that part. You know, she's a very popular figure in sports media, very popular figure, obviously, definitely plays for the WNBA, 
one of the best players in that department, whether or not you believe that. But at what cost, people may ask? At what cost? I understand. Because giving up Brittany Griner or getting, sorry, getting Brittany Griner in exchange for Victor Bout is like a, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> merchant of death, giving up, which is handing this guy back to them like that, merchant of death. I don't know. And on top of that, the people who want to cry out for Paul Whelan, I get that notion as well, too. I get the understanding of wanting to have back a person who has been detained from for, for exponential reasons for a while now. And he's he's been detained for a while, and it's understandable to see why people would be upset, especially the Whelan family, about how not they're not getting back Paul Whelan while Brittany Grant is returning back home. But I'm not here to judge about who is right and who's wrong. I'm here to just speak about what I know, and what I know is that Brittany Grant coming back is still a, a bonus. It's still a plus for the U.S. itself, whether or not you believe Joe Biden has failed the country. You still get back an American. You still get back an African-American as well, too. I think that's very important for uh, just my race and how much we've suffered in the past, too. I'm not trying to make it about race, but it's still very much important. And on top of that, hopefully we can see a, a future of us working to still get Paul Whelan back into U.S. custody, back into U.S. land and whatnot. But anyways, Brittany Griner is coming back home. It's still a good thing. And let's move on. All right, guys, so let's talk about the week 13 matchups for the NFL matchups that happened this past weekend. Yes, it is time. Starting off with my Jets, obviously, we got to talk about my Jets first. Tough loss. Tough loss. I called us to win that game. We did not. And Mike White, to me, didn't play bad. I think that when you have two interceptions and people look at the box scores and the stats, they'll see that he played bad. He didn't play bad. One interception was off the fingertips of the receiver, picked off, and then the last interception was a play that he was trying to make. Didn't go our way at the end of the game. But the issue I have with the offense itself was not that we didn't move the ball, which I kind of expected we would do against this Vikings defense, but the fact that we didn't score. We didn't score a touchdown. We scored only one touchdown, one for six in the red zone. That is not good enough against any team. Any team. You can't win a game against any team, home or away. That is tough to do unless you're playing mediocre composition. You know, but unless you're the, you're playing the Texans who found every way to lose on Sunday, by the way. We'll get into that. But unless you're playing those kind of teams, it's hard. It's hard to win. And I have to give, give credit to the Vikings defense for how they managed that red zone threat that we were posing. A couple of times, two goal line stops. What the hell? <laughs> That's insane. Pretty much two goal line stops. Like that, that's that that's insane. Uh, being stumped in the inside the five yard line is not good enough at all. I will give credit to my defense because I know we did give up twenty seven points. I know we did give up twenty points at halftime, but they very much did give us a chance to come back into that game. We just didn't take the opportunities. You cannot win an NFL game by kicking field goal after field goal after field goal. It's not going to work out. It's not. But bonuses, we did somewhat stop Justin Jefferson. We did neutralize uh, Kirk Cousins. Had some trouble stopping the run, so I'll give that credit to the Vikings. Wasn't really the best day as far as us trying to stop the run. But we also did get home a couple times and give uh, ourselves a chance to come back into that game. But on the offensive end, Gary Wilson's a stud. Corey Davis, I mean, how many times does this guy make 
clutch catches this season. He's made a lot of this season so far. And when it comes down to the big moments, I'm glad that we have Corey Davis on our team. <laughs> I'm saying that, and it's crazy to say that, because he has made a couple of moments that will be remembered if we make it far out of the season. The Steelers game, this game, making clutch catches. Fourth and 10, Mike White feels the pressure. He makes a clutch catch over the middle, gives us some life. I love that part. But the running game was also there too. Bam Knight, Zonovan Knight did a great job of helping us to get extra yards. I question Matt LaFleur's, not Matt LaFleur, Mike LaFleur's play calling at times. I will say that on the record because I don't understand why we don't run the football three straight times in the red zone on the one-yard line pretty much when we have a chance to go up in the game and go up by two points at least. Zonovan and I proved to me that he was able to grind out for extra yards and he was close to scoring just that the Vikings got home a, a one play. But the the third down pass was not there. It was, it was a bad play call. And on fourth down, the empty, ah, oh man, there's no presence of a running game to really be a threat on that play. That's why. And Braxton Barrows has to catch that football. We know that. But it's sad the way we lost. And going on from here on out, I do believe that we have a chance to win against any team that we play on our schedule. Not saying that we're going to win every game, but there is a chance to win against the teams as in the Buffalo Bills, Miami Dolphins. Every team that we have for the rest of the way is winnable. It's a matter of how bad do we want the playoffs, how bad do we want it. But Vikings win the game 27-22. to 22. Steelers and Falcons, yes, we kind of knew coming into the game that it would not be a high-scoring affair. It would be kind of sloppy. It wasn't really sloppy for the entire duration, though. There was some moving of the football. There were some plays where you went, okay, they, we see some passing elements in this Falcons, Falcons team, right? As, aside from contributing to the run and, and, and having that focus for the game plan, they had something downfield. They did. But you see that it's not a one-game sample size. It's a whole entire season. And for what I came into this game, I knew that this sucky Falcons passing game would be a, a, a thing that would play into the Steelers' hands, which is why they benched recently Marcus Mariota, and now we'll start Desmond Ritter, a guy who I think can elevate this passing game and can give them some type, of, some type of juice because it is not working out. It's not working out. Whether or not he's a rookie, He's going to come in here and at least give this team some type of different element to the game that I have not seen for the whole duration of the season. But for the Steelers standpoint, though, good running game. Kenny Pickett made some plays, again, once again, against this pass defense that's not that good, this overall defense that's not that good. Steelers kind of controlled the football game for the most part. They didn't really feel like, as if they were threatened at any point of the game that I, I was looking at. And you won the game on the road. So kudos to you for that. Uh, and let's move on to the Packers and Bears. Packers and Bears, this game started off really wild. I mean, for the Bears to be winning 10 nothing, that says a lot about this Packers team and how poorly they have played all season long. And there are some elements of the pass game too. A team that has not really been the best at passing the football, they carved up the Packers defense early on. Deep shots to chase Claypool, to end kill Harry. What the hell is going on here? I'm surprised about that. Justin Fields returned to the lineup. He looked explosive once again. Had a big run in the, in the first quarter. They're up by 10. But it's the Bears against an evenly matched Packers team. Really can't count them out. Give credit to the Packers for coming back into the game. Aaron Rodgers making a couple of plays. The fact that this guy did not have 
over 200 passing yards in this game says a lot to me. I mean, that's that's mind-boggling. Mind-boggling. But on the other hand, Christian Watson, again, another touchdown for his young career. Touchdown machine so far. This guy cannot be stopped. Cannot be stopped. So give him credit. And when you give your young receivers, I'll keep on saying it again. When you give your young receivers more chances to make plays, we'll live and die by that. And so far, the Packers are reaping the benefits of a Christian Watson. Last touchdown of the game, end around, uses speed, gets on the perimeter, and he scores a touchdown. Easy pickings, easy pickings. And one note I will make about this game before we move on, Jair Alexander, I know he had a pick of this game. So that was a bad decision by uh, Justin Fields. But has not looked the best this year, guys. Has not looked the best. He got beat on the, the big pass play by Justin Fields to and kill Harry and has not looked up to it at all. Ha- hasn't given me that shutdown cornerback feeling. Now, I could be wrong. I could go back to the numbers and look at it and, and get a different point of view. But from what I see on the field, the field view, I don't know. I, I'm not too confident in his play this year. I'm really not. Lions and Jaguars. I picked the Lions to lose this game, and they blew out the freaking Jaguars. It was an onslaught. What the hell happened in this game? Nothing going downfield for the Jacksonville Jaguars. You had some instances of moving the football. I'll give you that. But overall, the defense, is it was poor, very, very much poor. The Lions had everything go their way. Running game was there. The pass game, I mean, we have Jared Goff throw for over 300 yards. You really don't have a chance to win the game, in my opinion, because when he when he's dealing like that, it's kind of hard to stop this Lions team. And you look at the other side of the, of the coin, when you don't have anything going for you on offense, it's pretty, pretty easy to fall down by double digits in this game pretty quickly, pretty quickly. And that's what happened. So, you know, didn't really have too much fight. And as you see, when you have, even if you're moving the, the football a little bit more, like not three and outs, but maybe five and outs, six and outs, you're not scoring. And the Lions are over here getting field goals, field goals. Oh, here's a, here's a touchdown, by the way. Uh, here's another touchdown. The game becomes 30 to six, and it's out of reach. So to me, I was surprised about how this Jaguars team came out, how they were fooled early on. Thinking that they, I mean, I thought that was going to be a different matchup. I really did. I really did. But nothing for them the entire day. Nothing. A full beatdown. <laughs> Let's go to Commanders and Giants, right? So, evenly matched team. You can see that for the most part. Commanders are playing some good football. But the Giants, on the other hand, have been riding their win streaks and have been riding their early season success. And that gives you confidence when you move into these games like this, right? Down to nothing. All right. Commanders looking really well. But the Giants make a comeback. See some plays happening. You see Saquon Barkley making some plays. They take the lead in the fourth quarter, 20 to 13. Fast forward, the commanders need a, a drive to tie the, to, to tie the game. And on fourth down, Taylor Heineke to Curtis Samuel. What a throw, what a catch. But the biggest play to me of the game was the Jahan Dotson touchdown, pressed the B button, and he spins, gets away from the Giants defender, scores a touchdown. And when you go to OT, I actually thought the the commander had a chance to win this game. I mean, you cross midfield, and at that point, it's dangerous territory. But the drive stalls, and they have to end up punting the football. Giants get a a chance, but the the, the field goal is short. And I had some Giants fans voice their their displeasure about how 
it, it felt as if for the first time they didn't know what the team was doing on the coaching end, on the coaching game plan, which is understandable. You know, I mean, we have a tie in the game. It's not really the best result at all, to be honest. But it's not the end of the world for this team. Giants, though, have to be careful. You have the commanders on your heels. You lost the tiebreaker to the Seahawks already. Okay. Got to play the Eagles twice. Ooh, I don't know. That's going to be tough. That's going to be tough. So we'll see what happens. This team could very much end, all, end up outside of the playoffs and looking in trying to fight for a wildcard spot after having pretty much the control of the wildcard spot for their entire season so far. But we'll see what happens. Titans and Eagles. Man, oh, man. I expected this game to be a much better affair, much more evenly matched up. And I did not see the Eagles dominating the way they did. I mean, running the football was was there, but the passing game, though. Guys, I have said this. The Titans' defense, as far as just the secondary, has been one of the best to me in recent weeks. But the way this Eagles team had their way, and A.J. Brown revenge game, my goodness. First touchdown, he just bulldozes through the defender. Second touchdown is pretty much the same thing. Would not be stopped. Would not be stopped at all. Okay. Made it a tough grab. But you can see that he was motivated. You can see that this team was motivated to go up against a team that, to me, is a really good team. They know how to play football. They know how to play football. But everything was working for them. And on the flip side, this Titans team, man, we don't we don't have the running game going. I mean, Derrick Henry is a big part, a big part as to how they play football, right? How they want to score points. But when you don't have any element of that going and you kind of go away from who you are as a team, run first team. I mean, Derrick Henry only had, <laughs> didn't have that many carries in this game. Did not. That to me was actually surprising. 11 carries is not enough for Derrick Henry. It's not. So when you go away from that element, and yeah, maybe it's because you were down by double digits at some point in time. When you go away from that element, it makes it hard for this team to really score points. And even though I kind of saw Ryan Tannehill having some success against this defense, when you're playing one-sided and you don't have a running game to back you up, it becomes a little bit harder to make things happen, which is what happened in that game. So surprisingly, the Titans get blown out. Surprisingly. Broncos and Ravens. Man, oh, man. How do the Broncos find a way to lose this game after having Lamar Jackson out? Tyler Huntley, by the way, who I have raved about as far as just doing a good, a good job coming in when being called on and, and doing a, a service for this team, did not play well for me. He made a couple of plays, don't get me wrong, a couple of clutch plays too, fourth and two, the go-ahead touchdown, but had some bad interceptions. The one, I mean, both of them to Justin Simmons, one in the end zone, one that he's trying to escape and he just throws the ball up for grabs and it's just thrown straight to Simmons. That to me could have taken the game to a, a different toll, but you're playing the Broncos, of course. So that's the reason why you don't really have any any big threat against you at that point in time. But to me, any against any other team, you probably lose that game. Probably lose. But, you know, when you have Russell Wilson who has not been, he didn't play terrible once. He didn't play terrible. Either way, though, didn't have the best outing on offense. Nine points scored is not good enough against any team. Any team. Give credit to the Ravens' defense because they were able to kind of neutralize what the Broncos had going. There was some short pass game that they had to really utilize to try and move the football, but no big plays down the field. Maybe that one play that Jerry Judy, that was about it. 
But other than that, nothing else. Nothing else at all. So give credit to this Ravens defense for holding this sucky Broncos offense to nine points. But to find a way to lose this game after not having to face Lamar Jackson, I mean, I imagine how this game could have been if Lamar Jackson would have played. <laughs> that to me is bad. The tackling wasn't the best, too, from the, the Broncos defense. It was just a whole mess, a whole mess. I'm sorry. It was a whole mess. Browns and Texans. Okay, how the hell do the Houston Texans find a way to lose this football game after the opposing team has not scored an offensive touchdown? How is that possible? How is that possible? Bruh. I mean, fumbles, interceptions, pick sixes. What the hell? In a game where... I kind of saw Deshaun Watson coming into this game struggling, which he did, but he didn't have to do too much. He had a running game that would obviously just uh, just bulldoze his way through this Texans front because they are terrible at stopping the run. But to still not have an offensive touchdown scored against you and to still lose the game by double digits is embarrassing. Embarrassing. I mean, there were some points in the game where early on, probably like in the first quarter, you saw this Texas team give some fight. But we saw this coming in, guys. They have no talent. They have no talent to really keep up against a poor Browns defense, a, a poor Browns team and defense, by the way. It was not good at all. But to lose the game the way you did says a lot. Says a lot. I mean, you have four turnovers. How do you win a game with four turnovers? How? Someone, please tell me how you outscore them, but you can't score. You have no offensive talent except for Damian Pierce. That's about it. No offensive talent. That that to me is bad. That is bad. Okay. They have a lot of retooling to do. And we knew they would have a lot of retooling to do anyway, but still you need to do some more work this off season. Like you have a lot of holes to fill and it won't be worked on overnight. This team will not be good overnight. They will not be good probably for me next season either way. But there needs to be some type of plan going into this offseason. There has to be. Has to be. Seahawks and Rams. Okay, so this is a game where the Seahawks had to win. It's a must win no matter what. If you lose this game against John Wolfer, who got the start, if you lose this game, it's a bad result. Bad result. But they won the game. All right. The Rams defense is, to me, not a pushover. And they proved that a couple of times in the game. I just think that the Seahawks have a groove going about themselves with the offense in total for the entire season where it's kind of hard to really diminish them and trying to stop them from scoring points. But you saw some instances of Geno Smith not looking too good in the pocket, pocket crumbling down, getting sacked. I must say, on the other side, Tariq Willen is a stud, but Chris Nwosu, though, man, guys, he took over this game. He took over this game. This guy was unstoppable in the backfield. And to me... He pretty much saved the game for the Seahawks. A couple of, of, of third down stops were by him that resulted in punts and field goals that may have been touchdown the way the Rams' offense was moving the football, surprisingly. I mean, you had Brandon Powell on the end of rounds. He looked pretty explosive. Tutu Atwell looked pretty explosive as well, too. Cam Akers scored two TDs in this game. Looked pretty good. So, yeah, they have some chances to really make this happen. And also, by the way, it's an away game for the Seahawks, and it's a division game as well, too. So it was never going to be that easy. But give credit to this team for hanging in there, making some big plays. Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, Noah Fant being in the passing game as well, too. 
and the go-ahead touchdown to win the game from Gino to DK Metcalf was good enough for them to win in the last minute of the game. So good job by them, and they are still in the hunt for I would say in the hunt, but they're still they're still in the wild card spot to try and make the playoffs this year on what has been a surprisingly good season, good slash great season for them. And I just want to say Gino Smith has been playing well, been playing well, actually great. He's been playing great to lead your team down when you need to score to go ahead and get that, that go ahead touchdown. That to me gives a lot of confidence to the team moving forward in their whole entire season. So great job by them on that part. Niners and Dolphins. Dolphins lose this game. Surprisingly, when you don't have Jimmy Garoppolo, it should be in your favor, right? Wrong. This team is good enough to overcome these quarterback issues, mistakes, or injuries. They really are. You have a running game. You have a defense. You have coaching. So when you have a guy come in, Purdy come in, and he does actually play really well, by the way. I will say that, too. He played really well for what it was worth. Coming into the game against a, a good team, home or away doesn't really matter to me. Coming into the game against a good team, where your team, where your team personally needs this win for the division, and you have the Seattle Seahawks on your hinge, on your on your heels. Sorry, this was a must win for them too. And he got the job done, but he needed some help. He needed a running game. Needed some some playmakers to make some plays happen. Debo Samuel was hard to tackle on Sunday, right? And the coaching as well too did a good job of giving him some easier throws to make. The defense stepped up, two picks on Tua, one that was a pretty bad mistake by Tua, and two, it wasn't really his fault. The receiver slipped, fell down, and it was an easy uh, interception by Jimmy Ward. But either way, though, good job by them. Tua, on the other hand, surprisingly made some couple of mistakes that I wasn't really, I didn't really know he could make this season because he's been playing at such a high level. He has. But he had the... The bad interceptions, right? He had the fumble at the end, 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 at the end of the game that pretty much put the game away itself. And you look at the whole entirety of what we saw, it was just an overmatching kind of thing, overpowering, physical kind of thing. Yeah, you could have your explosive plays to Tyreek Hill, right? And it, it was not really the best to lose Jalen Waddle as well, too. But for the most part, this team was overmatched. There was one play in the game that I kind of saw where, you know, when you have that play work for you, it can just tell me exactly how this game was going to go. Fourth and one, Purdy sneaks for, uh, does a QB sneak. He gets stopped on the initial push, and he just pushes away. The line pushes him into the first down. That, to me, is important. Why? Because you see how physical this team can be. And sometimes, even if you don't have your starting QB, you can just win games off of your sheer physicality and your sheer coaching talent that you have on your roster. And that's how they won that game to me. So, you know, that that's just to be noted, noted uh, moving off of the season. We have the Chiefs and Bengals. The Chiefs still cannot find a way to beat the Bengals. That is crazy talk. Crazy talk, man. And I'll give the Bengals credit. One, the passing game is still there. It is still explosive. And it did not miss a beat on Sunday. But two, to neutralize Travis Kelsey is a big, big factor of this Chiefs offense. And he had nothing going for him the entire day. The entire day. So that, to me, I give you guys a lot of credit. A lot of credit. All right. The Chiefs made a couple of plays in this game. You take the lead. You're up 24 to 17. But 
from what I saw from the early minutes up until the late game management of the Bengals, this team had fight in it, had a lot of fight up 14, what 14, three at one point. And on top of that to ice the game, we go from making a bad mistake of Joe Burrow taking a sack, but on third and 11, the guts to pass the ball over the middle to T Higgins, who has been on a tear, by the way, says a lot about how this team wants to play and how confident they are when it comes to big game talent that they're facing in the Kansas City Chiefs. So that was a, a play that I see, and I go, you know what? Going up until last year and how they won those two games, they wanted it more again. For the third time in a row, they wanted it more than the Kansas City Chiefs. They wanted it more. So give credit to the Bengals. Give credit to Joe Burrow for making his plays. Give credit for Jamar Chase coming back and making some plays in this game. But ultimately, though, give credit to T. Higgins because he made a bunch of plays in this game, the touchdown that he fought for, and the third and 11 that he, he converted, that pretty much to me gave the reason as to why this Bengals team won the way they did, the way they did. All right, Raiders and Chargers, last game before Sunday night. Man, oh, man, this team. Chargers were up 10 nothing. Give credit to the Raiders for fighting back. Down to nothing, they come back, and they were really trying to lose this game. You had a fumble by Josh Jacobs. You had a freaking pick that a pick says uh, by Derek Carr was not looking the best. It was not. It really was not. But they came back, and we knew how they would come back, right? Running the football, and that that Chargers defense has some vulnerabilities in there that you can exploit. And you can't really stop Devontae Adams, which they did not do at all. He made a ton of grabs, guys, a ton of grabs. It's so it's so crazy how this guy gets open and like there's no defender in in sight and when he is covered really well it doesn't really matter because he makes the tough catches anyway. Back shoulder one handed grab on the sideline that is tough that is tough, really tough. So I give credit to this team for the way they fought back. I give credit to Derek Carr because he made a couple of plays in this game that that led that comeback. And for the Chargers standpoint, what is going on with Keenan Allen? I don't know. Is it because he's not healthy? Is it because uh, Justin Herbert has built a rapport with Joshua Palmer, who has broken out this year, and he has become the go-to receiver nowadays, and, and him and Austin Eckler? I don't know what's going on, but we didn't see Keenan Allen up until the fourth quarter. I mean, when you need a game like this, when you're vying for a playoff position and playoff spots, you need games like this, right? You need your big-time players to make big-time plays. We didn't see Allen until the fourth quarter. That, to me, is not acceptable at all. It is not acceptable. So we have to see more exactly of how they can implement him in the passing game again. I know he has been injured, but either way, though, you can't have games where he goes absent like that. You can't. He's a big-time receiver. He brings a lot of uh, coverage to his side when he's on the field, and you need to have him involved in the game plan. But maybe it was a case of the Raiders doing a good job of taking them away, double-teaming him. I don't know. But for him to be absent, I, I question how that happened. I really do. Last but not least, the Colts and the Cowboys. Hmm. So the Colts actually came out firing. They looked pretty good. They looked like as if they were fighting like the Bengals did, right? And the Cowboys were kind of caught off guard in the way. Didn't really expect it, in my opinion. What was surprising is the way the Colts let this game go. I mean, once you have this team that is better than you and you're fighting like that, there's always a chance to win the game. But once you stop fighting, 
and then the quality of the other team shows, that's when it gets kind of messy. And it got messy pretty quickly. 54 points giving up? What? And I rave about this Colts defense, as in it's a good defense. But, you know, they were put in some bad positions. The offense, the, the fumbles, the fumbles, the picks. Matt Ryan, going back into what he was before Jeff Saturday. The picks, three interceptions in a span of what? Two quarters. Maybe even less in a span of about five, six minutes. <laughs> like, what the hell is happening here? What the hell is happening here? I don't get it. But what I do understand is that the, the Dallas Cowboys have a tendency to turn it on and to be physical and overpowering at times. We saw it against the, the Giants on, on Thanksgiving night. We saw it against the Vikings. So, yeah, the team is capable of doing that. But I was just shocked to see exactly how the Colts gave this game away the way they did. I mean, I never thought they was going to win the game anyway. But to lose the game in that embarrassing fashion after being in the game for the most part says a lot. Says a lot about this team. It's not a case of, by the way, people thinking that this team uh, just were uninspired because Jeff Saturday, I think he does command a lot of uh, respect on that, that, that roster. And he does command a lot of attention. Whereas if they wouldn't really give up the game because they don't feel like playing for their coach anymore, but they just made a lot of blunders where it seemed as if they were giving up and they got punished for it. They really did. But guys, that is the recap for the week 13 matchups. And let's go into the Raiders and Rams preview for tonight's game. I have the Raiders winning this game. Obviously 6.5 is a spread. The Rams they should be able to move the football. I mean, if you look at the way they did against the Seahawks last time around, and the Raiders were able to move the football a lot against that defense, so were the Seahawks. Then I can see the same thing happening where the Rams have some passing game elements. If you find ways to be creative and get guys like Brandon Powell, Tutu Atwell, Van Jefferson, the ball, and these end arounds or things around the line of scrimmage where they can utilize their speed, then yes, this team can definitely make some things happen and get some points on the board. But because of the quarterback play, which I'm not confident on more than I am with the Raiders, Derek Carr, and their quest to stop Devontae Adams is another issue as well, too. The running game as well that has come alive. I don't know. I don't know. This Rams defense is good, but it's not great. It's not great. It's not a shutdown defense. And for that matter, I'm going with the Raiders here. 31 to 20. That's what I think will happen in this game. All right, guys, before we end off, let's talk about some NBA trade rumors. Cam Reddish is among the interests of these three teams, the Lakers, the Heat, and the Bucks. Cam Reddish, who has been isolated the entire way by Tom Thibodeau and what he is doing in New York. I don't understand, once again, why it's happening. But from what you've seen from Cam Reddish, you know that he is capable of providing some sparks for your team. And I say this, Miami Heat, please do this for me. Get Cam Reddish, please, because we need some bench help. <laughs> People have to understand that the numbers last year were inflated by Tyler Hero. We were number one in bench scoring last year. They were inflated because of Tyler Hero. Now we're 29th because Hero starts, all right? Get a guy in who could help us give some creativity and some sparks off the bench. Similar for the Lakers as well, too. They don't really have too much bench threats coming off, you know, so he would provide another aspect to them 
um, really wouldn't have that three-point arsenal to his game where that can help this team in an immense way. But as far as getting better talent, yes, I can see it happening where this team is playing much better basketball over the recent weeks. And if you get a guy in Cam Reddish, of course, this team can make things happen. Of course, you can have some some big plays being made by him leading that bench unit. And for the Bucks standpoint, obviously, you're getting the rich richer, right? Bucks who are playing some great basketball, second in the in the Eastern Conference right now. You have Cam Reddish come off that bench. He not only gives you a three and D element, but he gives you a guy that you could play down the stretch as well and play some crucial minutes. So I think that for whatever team he goes to out of these three teams, he'd be an automatically good fit. More so the Bucks and Heat, because I think that the Lakers need more, more shooting than uh, a three and D kind of play. But he would definitely elevate this team as far as just those two aspects, three and D. All right. But we'll see what happens. And I think that if I had to make a choice of who he'd go to, I would probably pick the Bucks. Uh, so for some reason, I think he'd probably go to the Bucks. That's my guess right here. But I hope he does go to the Miami Heat because, guys, we are struggling. Struggling. I don't even want to talk about what happened on, in, in, against Detroit. I don't want to talk about what happened against Memphis. That was bad. But we are struggling, guys. Struggling. But anyways, that is the short, short episode for this time around. Guys, as you can see, that I, I'm, I'm burnt out. I'm tired. I want to go eat some damn food. Freaking hungry. I'm just joking. But anyways, guys, keep on supporting the brand, Game Breakers. Keep on doing your thing. Keep on following us on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram. Yeah, I have to say I have done a bad job <laughs> of the, the the advertising of the, the podcast itself. I have to get back on that train itself. But when I do, we'll be driving that train full throttle. All right, guys, it is your man, Edwin, and I am out. Have a great rest of your day. Peace.